Um, hey, uh, so today uh, we're going to hear from another one of our local um, partners. This one's uh, certainly special for us because it was uh, a ministry birthed out of, of Wellspring and, um, and somebody that's been around since the very beginning of uh, this church. Um, so uh, Stacy Kearns is going to come and share today about Sisters of Solace. And I get the privilege of being on um, the board there and kind of seeing uh, things a little bit more closely. Um, but super proud of, of her and Devin and, and the steps of faith they took to make that possible. And so many of you that have given time and, and uh, money to make that uh, possible as well. So um, come on down, Stace, and, and to share with us what's going on there. Well, I am a St. Joe girl. I have always been here. But when I was growing up, my immediate family didn't see our extended family very often. They all lived far away. And we didn't see them except for like Thanksgiving or Christmas. But our most frequent visits to, were to my grandparents' house near Lexington, Missouri. So they ran a large apple orchard. One of the perks included housing a very creepy, cool, Civil War-era mansion that uh, was kind of like, it was nestled amongst all the trees that we felt like we could see forever. And it was like this playground from the past. So all kinds of places to hide and explore and trees to climb and just a, a propane tank to climb on. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but my favorite was this ginormous packing shed that was perfect for roller skating in the off season. That was my favorite. So exactly one time, my parents left me with the grandparents for a week while they went somewhere else. Somewhere else, I don't even know. It was somewhere without me. That's all that mattered. Anyway, so normally when we stayed, it was like a couple of days. This time it was like a week. So my playground lost its luster quickly. I mean, once you burn through the double A's in your Walkman, then the roller disco is over. So, <laughs> so Grandma included me in that week in her routine of very boring things. So one of the things we did every morning, we would go out into the orchard and inspect the trees. And she would take her camera and she would show me, look at the buds on these trees. And then she would take a picture of what looked like absolutely nothing. I didn't see those pictures, nor did I give them a minute's thought until the next holiday when we all got together and Grandma said, Stacy Lynn, come here. I have something to show you. So those pictures, incidentally, she had to take to the drugstore to be sent off to be developed. So she brought them back, she laid them out on the table in order, and what I saw was all of those buds and how they bloomed over the course of just a week. And my preteen self, not easily impressed, had to admit that those images were worth capturing. That was a long time ago, and I haven't given that thought in decades until the slow work we started to witness at Sisters of Solace and the healing started to mine out 
those images that were locked deep in my memory. It's been on my mind so much that I tried to recreate the apple blossom photo series by taking pictures of my Asiatic lilies every day as they began to bloom last spring. Look like this. Kind of cool, huh? Have you ever noticed that scripture is filled with so much botanical imagery to describe spiritual union and transformation? Seeds and soil, planting and harvesting, roots and fruit, vines and branches, well-watered gardens, and trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in season. Over the nearly three years that we've been lighting the way home for women survivors of trauma and addiction, our experience has taught us that recovery and healing are traversed through seasons. Just like those apple blossoms and my lilies, we can never look at a flower or a friend and see that it is growing. We can only stick with them and look back and see that it has grown. Our little community has been at it long enough to know that the abundant life knows a season or a time for everything. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. The time to mourn and the time to dance. But sometimes all we can see is the still shot of the moment. Last spring, ooh, it's gonna get me. <laughs> Last spring, we welcomed Lacey home. She was young, beautiful, spirited, and a handful. But we all loved that little handful, and it broke our hearts when she opted to take her chances without us. Praise God she was surrounded by friends when she was baptized on a Sunday morning at Restoration Church. By Wednesday, our survivor-led team was pleading with her not to go. And by Saturday night, we were all getting the news that addiction claimed her life. We couldn't believe that she was overdosed and gone that fast. The following Friday, our staff and our sisters all sat together at her funeral. And even though it was spring, it felt like the cold, cruel bitterness of winter had settled in on us. And after the next funeral, I realized that over the span of just a year, I had sat behind four mothers who were laying their kids to rest from drug overdoses. And that's just addiction. Add that to the many layers of complexity that we handle with care. Violence, exploitation, abandonment, family problems, legal problems, financial problems, health problems, homelessness, and incarceration. A year-long program used to seem like a really long time, but it's not. Thankfully, 
all of our program graduates remain independent, financially independent, oh, financially independent, all of them. Ah, oh, the Kleenex, there it is, there we go. Lacey is forever 20 years old, our sister in heaven. We will never forget her, even as the seasons change and healing begins to bloom. We celebrated our winter graduation last weekend. Amy and Jen allowed the slow work of lavish love to return them to their beautiful, authentic selves. So just a few highlights from last year. Misty is working and self-sufficient after years of street homelessness. Amy talks to her daughters and has been reunited with her grandson. Mindy is now able to spend the weekends helping care for her mother who suffers with Alzheimer's. Kelly is home with her kids following drug addiction and serving time in prison. Savannah is actively involved in her son's life after losing all parental rights. This year alone, 13 children and grandchildren have been reconnected to the ladies who have been in our home, and six ladies have learned skills and re-entered the workforce through our justice enterprise. Our justice enterprise is the business we launched to create jobs for women who, in many cases, are unemployable. You might be wondering, how is it possible that anyone is unemployable these days? Well, if you don't have a photo ID handy, and you have a backlog of untreated medical conditions, and you have no skills, we have to be creative. Our ladies have the opportunity to work designing and manufacturing 100% clean burning soy candles with no dyes, chemicals, or toxins, and all natural body products that are infused with 100% pure essential oils supplied by exactly one oil supplier. The purpose of our justice enterprise is workforce development to create employment opportunities and teach our ladies all of the soft skills about working, getting up on time, getting to work, getting along with people, conflict resolution, because that happens. And it's also to contribute financially to our residential program. I am happy to announce that this year we have moved into the black. So the Justice Enterprise is contributing. And while it's nice that our justice enterprise is a program element that pays for itself, the greatest value lies in an accidental benefit that we've discovered. The work environment itself is therapeutic. Aromatherapy is powerful. So is the practice of creating. Combine aromatherapy with meaningful work in the fertile soil of safe community and healing emerges organically. The workshop is often filled with laughter, encouraging words, some really crazy stories, and stories of how life looks different today and the hope of what it could look like in the future. I'm really grateful to my Wellspring family for believing in our vision and supporting us in so many practical ways. Your generosity this Advent season will go toward investment in our justice enterprise so we can take our operation to the next level. We have struggled to keep up with demand this year, and I think Amy is a little stressed out. 
<laughs> you can meet Amy, our recent graduate after the service. Come find us in the community room and do a little Christmas shopping, find aromatherapy for you, and provide a home and healing for her. Thanks, guys. Stacy, um, as you can see, uh, I would just love for you guys to just, just to commit to praying uh, for Stacy and uh, the staff there. Um, it's just obviously a heavy, a heavy ministry to be a part of on a daily basis. And uh, you know, walking alongside her as a friend and mentor, um, I, I, I just want to do everything we can to keep wind in her sails. Um, we need this ministry in our city. Um, we need quality people um, like Stacy leading those things. So uh, please be praying for her. Um, just a great reminder of the daily reality of a lot of folks in our community um, and how important it is that as we as followers of Christ get <laughs> this message of, of grace, of redemption, of um, new starts, um, that, that, that it hits us in a way that compels us to want to move out and to share that. Uh, with this dark world around us. Um, so we've been uh, on this journey uh, these past few weeks, um, a series titled Prepare Him Room. Uh, it's based off a, a conversation that Jesus was having with some religious leaders in John chapter 8, where he says, um, you're trying to kill me because you have no room for my word. No room for a savior who came in vulnerability, who opened himself up, uh, to be physically and emotionally wounded for our good. No room for a savior who threatened the power grabs of those around him, from King Herod to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who benefited from doing business with Rome, to the darkest parts of you and I, who desperately want to remain on the throne of our relationships, our time, our gifts, our finances, utilizing those resources to benefit our own wants instead of surrendering those to our true king. No room. We often try to figure out how to squeeze Jesus into our current lifestyle when what he wants to do is blow the whole thing up and start over. Which Jesus are we preparing room for this Advent season? The Jesus we want him to be or the Jesus as he truly is? That's what we've been wrestling with the past two weeks. So submission is a dirty word to many of us, especially in our American culture. There's a spirit of independence and self-reliance that kind of permeates our entire way of life here. More than once, uh, a song I've heard played at people's funerals is, I did it my way. To submit ourselves to the authority of someone else when our declaration of independence clearly states that all men are created equal seems to be at odds with the spirit of revolution. And as a history teacher, I need to inform you that what we failed to remember about our founding fathers was they weren't advocating for no government, but for a fairly elected representative um, that would uphold the desires of the people. To a ruler with limited powers, they were willing to submit. That was just free of charge to you guys this morning. 
makes me feel good about the education that I got those many years ago. But that word submit is defined as this. Webster says it's to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. The Greek word for submit that they would have put in the New Testament is this word hapatasso, which communicates the spirit of a lower-ranking soldier arranging themselves under the orders of higher-ranking officers. So to accept or yield implies a choice. Not a choice of who's in charge, but a choice to honor and yield to the authority of whoever is. And this is a delicate and challenging topic, isn't it? We're going to need some guides to help us navigate this discussion. So I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. It's page 1457. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that was Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, will, she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. What a truly remarkable passage as this uneducated teenage girl provides for us the ultimate example of submitting to the will of the Father. She's told three things that would have been unfathomable to believe in that moment. First, you will have a son who will reign forever. His kingdom will never end. How is she going to have a son who will be a king? And how will his reign be eternal? Secondly, when she asks how this will be possible, since she's a virgin, the angel, angel tells her that she'll be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Okay. <laughs> and finally, this Holy One that will be born will be called the Son of God. That's a lot to take in. In one conversation. I was listening to an Advent devotional this past week, and Pastor Tim Keller, he pointed out 
that Mary responded in two ways. One is with healthy doubt, and the second is with thoughtful surrender. So healthy doubt. She says, how will this be? And she doesn't say it in a way where she's kind of accusing, saying, hey, this is pretty impossible. I mean, how can this be? She's saying it more like she's asking for more details, more answers. Like, God, how are you going to do this? I can't wait to hear how you're going to make this possible. Unhealthy doubt is when we don't seek answers or further explanation. We just want off the hook. If I don't know, then maybe I won't have to do anything. Thoughtful surrender. Believe me, Mary was well aware of the implications of being a pregnant, unwed woman. She knew the jokes, the looks, the whispers, the shame, the rejection that awaited her scandalous condition. Mary counted the costs. This was a thoughtful surrender. And I have no doubt that this act of faith was years in the making. She developed a deep love and trust in God over the course of her young life. Who knows what daily moments of faith choices are preparing us for in the future. Each one of us makes a lot of small, seemingly small faith decisions every day that are preparing us for big decisions we might have to make down the road. And none of us know what those big decisions are going to be one day, but I'm sure that Mary was unknowingly preparing herself for this moment. And nine months later, we see this beautiful handoff of sorts, a passing of the baton from the submissive mom to her submissive son, Jesus. John begins his gospel with these words, John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In status, Jesus was equal to God. On so many occasions you can look at throughout the gospels, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. But look at how Paul describes Jesus' submissive posture in Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus chose the way of thoughtful surrender. Jesus knew what it was to obey imperfect parents. He knew what it was to work and toil only to be steeped in poverty. He knew what it was like to be ridiculed and mocked and unjustly accused, abused, and ultimately murdered by earthly authorities. And Jesus, though he was God, <laughs> submitted himself to Jewish practices. He waited until the culturally acceptable age of 30 to become a rabbi, which is when all men were allowed to become rabbis in Israel. 
He showed tremendous restraint towards hostile church authorities who were constantly badgering him and trying to thwart his mission. Throughout the Gospels, he continually remind people, reminded people, I only say and do what the Father tells me to. Here are just a couple of his submissive statements in the Gospel of John. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 5.30, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And the submissive spirit carried all the way up to the cross. Jesus is in the garden and as he's praying before his impending arrest, we hear Jesus utter these famous words, my father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, this, this burden, this cross I'm about to bear. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He sounds like his mom, right? And now the baton is passed to us. And as his followers, we are asked to walk as Jesus walked, modeling to the world a life of submission to the Father. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, but not just to God. The disciple Peter takes his submissive spirit even further. Look at what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Chapter 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourself to every authority every elder that's been placed in your life. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I struggle to pull this off. And when we display a rebellious spirit, it's not enough to simply acknowledge the disobedience or even to feel guilty or remorse for our actions. We also have to ask ourselves the deeper why questions. Why do I resist submitting myself to the authority of my bosses, my parents, my coaches, my pastors, my government leaders? What's at the root of the rebellious spirit in me? Because if we don't get to that, <laughs> we're just going to find ourselves right back in that place of rebellion again and again. And for me, believe me, I've had a lot of time to kind of examine this over the course of my life. For me, it's, it's always pride. As somebody who's been given some leadership gifts and abilities in life, I tend to look at a lot of situations and think, I could probably lead that better than that person. But the Bible doesn't tell us to obey earthly authorities only if you're dumber than them. The key perspective we have to embrace are the words of Paul in Philippians 2, 3. 
He said this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Man, the last few years of my life, that verse has taken on new meaning. You know, don't consider others equal to yourself. Consider everybody else better than you. If I'm honest, my worst moments in life have usually come when I've considered myself better than somebody else, especially better than those in authority that God has placed in my path. And it's caused uh, a fair amount of damage. That arrogance can carry over to my relationship with God as well. I often think that I know how to navigate my life better than the way of submission that God has marked out for me. So what is it for you? What gets in the way of your submission to authority, whether it's God or some earthly authority that's been placed in your life? I've already put my junk out there, so don't let me be the only naked person in the room today, okay? What is it for you? What gets in the way of your submission to authority? Yeah, man. You're willing to take it? (laughs) We're pretty standard as we, as as the rebellious spirit in our hearts is going to direct us to a person that I feel this way about that person Mm. in authority. Yeah. 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 In order to um, to continue to be disobedient, you have to demonize the person who's supposed to have the authority, right? Um, So yeah, there's this roaming around in your heart of seeing the worst in them. Um, what else? Yeah, Dave. I think sometimes for me it's trusting God and trusting God's process because, you know, maybe there's a situation where you actually probably are better at doing this and that than it is, but God is doing something in that person. God is, God is in the process. God is... Um, trying to teach you to be humble? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's trusting God, you know, uh, that that he might be doing something in this other leader um, that maybe you do have more skills or ability or talent than, but he's trying to teach them some things. So to use them at whatever level he wants to. Um, Yeah. 
I mean, you hear a lot about submission in marriage. And uh, man, you know, the whole husband-wife thing. And, and, uh, and I would just, I, I've told a lot of young people, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure for guys <laughs> to lead families, especially ones that didn't grow up with great uh, examples of what it means to be a husband or father. And uh, I've counseled a lot of folks, guys, you got to let your husbands make mistakes. And you got to encourage and support them as they're trying to do this. Because we, we many of us, I'll just speak for myself, feel incompetent <laughs> trying to figure this out. And um, yeah, maybe you could do whatever X, Y, Z with the family better. But they, they need to learn um, how to be a leader. So that's a great example of some things that, that definitely get in the way. It's challenging for sure. Pastor Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, a lack of submission is no new or rare fault in mankind. Ever since the fall, it has been the root of all sin. From the moment when our mother Eve stretched out her hand to pluck the forbidden fruit and her husband joined her in setting up the human will against the divine, the sons of men have universally been guilty of a lack of conformity to the will of God. They choose their own way and will not submit their wills. They think their own thoughts and will not submit their understanding. They love earthly things and will not submit their affections. Man wants to be his own law and his own master. So understand, brothers and sisters, that making room for Christ involves creating space for the submissive one. We can learn from his example. Take a look at Hebrews 5, 7. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And he was heard because of what? His reverent submission. Are our lives marked by healthy doubt and thoughtful surrender? Are we seeking answers, a greater understanding of the troubling things as we walk with God? Jesus spoke in parables so the true seekers would wrestle and they would ask questions and they would engage with him. God comes to us and in a way he's asking to impregnate us with Christ. To hold and carry the person and the nature of Jesus in our bodies. So that one day we might birth into the world through our lives. His qualities of love and compassion and truth, justice and submission to the Father. Take heart. We can be submissive. Those of you that are like, ah, oh, I'm not great at this. <laughs> because Christ is in us. The submissive one is filling us every day. Make room for more of his submissive nature this Advent season. And watch how God uses our obedience to bear spiritual fruit in this world.
I can tell you this, when I haven't been submissive to authority, it hasn't set me up well to share the gospel with those people. And isn't that ultimately what we're here to do? Is to be ones that would reflect the love and the kindness of God. Not the, the arrogance of thinking we know how to do it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much um, for what all your <laughs> child in the manger means and embodies that it calls us to examine the vulnerable way in which you came the surrendered way in which you came the submissive way in which you came we can't just have Jesus as we want him we have to embrace and follow Jesus as he is and usually Jesus, as he is, rubs up against our comfort, um, our way of doing life and what's comfortable for us. So God, I pray that we would yield to you. And not only to you, but in starting there and getting that relationship right, that that would then give us the humility, the trust that we talked about this morning to then go and and trust that you've put other people in authority in our lives for your purposes. We don't have to understand it. We're not asked to understand it. <laughs> but we are asked to obey it. And through that obedience, so that you can use that humility to be a testimony to this world. To serve and to love and care. Gosh, I think about how David <laughs> patiently waited and submitted himself to Saul, who was a hothead and was sinful in so many ways. But David trusted your plan and your process. And he was willing to yield to that plan, even though it was extremely painful for him. God, help us to have that kind of heart in our lives this Advent season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand as we close?